0: Well, I'm personally honored and blessed to have the privilege of sharing with you. I've been in fear and trembling all week long because I know that in this room there, there is so much at stake for so many of you. And there are families uh, that will feel the impact of these days. There are uh, employers, there are employees, their relatives, their children whose lives depend upon how you respond to what you hear. And so I've been in fear and trembling because I don't want to just bring a a little message uh, from myself. I'm praying God will speak to all of our hearts. Uh, uh, I appreciate Ian asking what do we want the Lord to do in our own life? Because I I want him to work in my life through you guys being here. You know, when Queen Elizabeth II was to be crowned, she sent out invitations to uh, uh, people that were chosen to attend her coronation. And she sent them out to parliament people and to uh, people that were in the government with her. And uh, she also sent them out to representatives of the common people. And at the bottom of each invitation, after it invited them nice and politely to this coronation, were these words. All excuses ceasing. You see, it's a little different when nobility invites you to something. Uh, it was an invitation, but in a very subtle but polite way, it was also a command. When royalty issues an invitation, uh, there's a lot different than if, like, somebody here asks you over to eat. So when the Lord Jesus Christ calls, we must respond. And the Scriptures teach us clearly that all excuses ceasing. And really, when the king invites you, it's not just a mistake, it's high treason to tell him No. And so many of you, I believe this weekend, will be called by Him. You come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different places, but uh, when He speaks from His throne to us, we're accountable to answer, every one of us. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that could make us say, uh, I have an excuse, maybe it's fear. Fear of the unknown, maybe you're afraid he'll send you to Africa or something. That wouldn't be so bad if God goes before and follows you up with goodness and mercy and puts the clouds of mercy over you. And uh, beneath you the everlasting arms, it wouldn't be so bad, would it? Uh, But you're afraid of the unknown. Or maybe you're guilty. You said, I've blown it too much. And uh, you're here saying, well, what are they going to tell me? Or self-pity, there's nobody as pathetic as me. Pride. I don't need that crutch. Uh, Ignorance. Maybe you won't really understand what's going on. All those things seem like they're valid excuses, don't they? And they may be to men, but I'll tell you something. They're not to God. They're illegitimate. Well, the church of the Lord has a lot on the line in our day. If you've been out of the country recently, you know what's being said about our country overseas and, uh, and what's going on. And uh, in the church especially, the church overseas is concerned for the church in America because, you see, our terminology has been stolen by the world and the cults. They talk about the new birth, they talk about, uh, be, uh, they talk about being sanctified, they talk about being uh, filled with the Spirit. Uh, it's possible to fool almost everybody except for God. Our words have become empty. When you say, I've been born again, you can mean a lot of different things. I've met people that have been born again twice, uh, they tell me, uh, several times. So it's been great. I wonder what it was. But you see, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been presented on the banqueting table of this world. Big materialistic world. And we've, we've polished it, we've changed it, we've refined it, and we've even seasoned it with the world seasoning. And consequently, because of that, a lot of people that still love the world come and the new wine has been watered down with a utilitarian Christ that has said to people, you come to me and get everything you've ever wanted and have everything you've ever needed. And I'll make you happy, wealthy and wise. And uh, it's it's almost like a, a means to our own end. That's the Christ that's being preached in many, many places. Well, who could question the fact that religion is on the rise in our country? You look around and the Gallup poll says that 51% of the people in our country claim to be born again. And 41% of the population attends church every week, uh, every week somewhere. 60% have membership in Protestant or Catholic churches. We build more splendid buildings and we, we try new ways to draw people. And uh, despite all that, there's an, empty, there's an emptiness kind of around. We live in a day when it's become popular, you see, to be religious. It shows you're thoughtful. It shows you have kind of a, uh, an interest in the deeper things. It shows that you uh, are serious-minded. You're committed to certain important things. And, and we know pretty much what's expected of Christians, you know. We know pretty much how to wear our clothes and where to go and how to talk. And uh, so we study and we organize and we educate and we train and we dedicate. But something's missing in a lot of places. Well, there are a lot of talkers and very few walkers. We've had 25 years in our country of the most expensive evangelism in all the history of the world. But yet, despite all that, in our country, there's a worm in the apple. Something is really wrong. And you talk to the Christian leaders that have been across the board, and they'll tell you incredible statistics like they believe that that quite a number, uh, I I wouldn't even say because there's so different statistics, but usually it's over 50% that are sitting in the pews they believe are not truly born again. Truly, biblically born again. Uh, A lot of people have suggested in our day read. Defining Christianity, making it relevant. What we really need is to make men relevant to the gospel rather than making the gospel relevant to men. And what the world needs is not a new definition of Christianity, but in your life and mine through the church, a new demonstration of it. So once again, people begin to really see what it means to be a Christian. Well, I believe that uh, all of this has happened without our thinking about it. Truly, uh, George Burwer, the fellow that uh, Jim Rogers was secretary for for a few years traveling around the world, he calls it spiritual schizophrenia. We try to compartmentalize our life. The contradiction between what we think we know and what's reality. We, uh, we separate the spiritual world from the business world. Or the church from state, or something like that. And we separate our Bible beliefs from our daily living. And consequently, there's no reality in our life. It's, it's impossible to do this and be a real Christian. It's absolutely impossible. Uh, once an unconverted person becomes convinced that they are converted, once they become convinced that they're a Christian, I believe they're the hardest possible person in all the world to reach with the real gospel. They sit in the pew and they say, Lord, speak to them, Uh, and they've never heard themselves. Well, there's a lot of controversy among the different denominations and the different groups, the wasms and the isms. Uh, about how to become a Christian. And this is really unfortunate, I believe. I believe we should be down the line on what it means to become a Christian. But I want to approach it not from trying to say who's right and who's wrong and how to become a Christian. What I want to do tonight is talk about, uh, in this brief session together, uh, what, from the other side, what the Bible says is indisputably clear about what those who are Christians will be. There are certain infallible birthmarks for every person that is in the family of God. And this the Bible leaves absolutely no controversy at all as to what those who truly become Christians will be like. You can argue all you want about uh, how to become a Christian, and then after it's all said and done, you may be different. But the Bible is so clear about what it means to be a Christian. And I believe that there are a lot of people who profess Christianity, perhaps even in this room some. Certainly there are. Every men's conference, there are those who've come along who profess they know the Lord, but they have no real life experience and uh, with the Lord. We need to examine these fruits of what it really means to be alive. This weekend we're going to look at key issues about what it means to be a man of God in your local church and in your world. And tonight is the beginning of that. First, before you become a man in the local church, you've got to make sure you're in the local church. Uh, Because you can't really be a Christian apart from that. I talked to a man not long ago, and he said, I'm a Christian. We were talking, I'm a Christian. And I said, on what do you base that statement? He says, the way I feel. And I said, well, what about this in the scriptures? And he says, oh, I don't believe that. And I just said, well, you've just committed spiritual suicide. Because, you see, we have no basis at all for anything at all to call ourselves Christians except for the Bible. You know, we, we were talking on the way down here. Someone saying to someone else, uh, oh, you go to hell or something like that. One of the best things to say to them is, oh, I didn't know you believed the Bible. Oh, that's just great. It jolts them right out of the saddle. I don't believe the Bible. Well, where'd you learn about hell? Uh, it's it just great. Uh, it, it really puts the tongue in the right place. Um, you see... The question is, brothers, is not what happened to you when you were nine years old or when you were being burped on your grandmother's knee or uh, what happened when you wept some tears in one moment of weakness and shook the preacher's hand when you uh, dented your new car and was heartbroken or something in the past. Years ago, when your mother died or you had looked through a stained glass window and saw uh, kind of a light gleaming and you knew that was God speaking to you, that doesn't even matter about the past, the question question tonight is, is what is your life like right now? Not yesteryear, but today. You see, today is the day of salvation, and it's got to be real today. And so we're going to look at that for just a little bit. God's given us infallible proofs, and Scripture's got to be our measuring rod, so we're going to look at a whole lot of them. You won't be able to keep up with me, more than likely, but I would jot them all down and check them out yourself later. I'll read them to you as we go through. These marks will be in the life of every single believer that's real. In one degree or another, they may be little light birthmarks, but they'll be there. They may be small, but they will be there. See, I believe that the normal Christian life has become so abnormal in our day that we call it the deeper life. If the subnormal ever got normal, uh, then the abnormal would be normal. But you see, uh, the, the, the thing is that we're so subnormal that the normal scares us to pieces. And we call them fanatic. Well, the first characteristic of a a, uh, truly Christian life, a man who's been born in the kingdom of God, is, number one, a changed life. A changed life. Now, that doesn't fully mean that uh, that's the only characteristic, because you can join uh, the army. It'll change your life. Uh, But it won't get you to heaven. but certainly that'll be part of it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen is the scripture. You all know that probably by heart. But it says, "If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature, or creation. Behold, old things pass away; all things become new. Old things are gone, and behold, it's, it's a miracle. Everything becomes new. So a changed life or newness." A real Christian life has that infallible mark of newness. There's a newness in the life. And what this means is there's an inward revolution in your life. There's something that's changed and God's given a new nature. You see, not just a new name called Christian, but a new life. Not just facts that I believe, no, no, but a person whom I have received. A new life. Not just a uh, not just a new beginning, but a totally new life. Uh, past, everything is new. It's His Spirit living in me. So, coming to Christ is not just a ladder to bliss. It's not just a fire escape from hell. It's not just a life preserver for my problems. It is a relationship. <laughs> Newness. Well, that's the first characteristic, and it says in the Scriptures, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of God's newness. You see, it'll mean a change because Jesus has come. All things will become new. Now, suppose I told you tonight that uh, I have the spirit of Adolf Hitler. How would you perceive that? What would you think that would mean? I am filled with the spirit of Adolf Hitler. Well, you probably wouldn't want to be in my small group uh, with me. But, uh, but you see, then what does it mean to you when I say that, uh, that I have the Spirit of Christ? Exactly the same principle is to be interpreted when we look at the Scriptures. It means that uh, His Spirit is in me. What kind of Spirit is God's Spirit? Holy. He's holy. So it's a life transformed by God's presence. Look at First Corinthians chapter six. We're talking about newness. There are a lot of people that, that say that you can come right into the kingdom and just continue right on uh, as you were, just believing some new facts. But it says in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, it says, Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Now, there are a bunch of scriptures that say that over in Ephesians 4 and over in 1 John 3. It says repeatedly, don't be deceived. The reason God says that to us is because there are a lot of people around us telling us the other thing that uh, pat you on the back and just believes some facts and you don't have to have a changed life. Well, it says here, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, the word means homosexual, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, uh, or extortioners, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers, there's no hope for us. Except for the next verse. And such were some of you. But you are washed. And now you are sanctified. And you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So what we're talking about is this. A life transformed by God's Spirit. Has your life been transformed I'm not talking about saying, are you perfect? I'm simply saying that you cannot claim to be a Christian if all you can point to is good works and a morality or a dedication or your own sincerity. You walked an aisle and you admitted you were a sinner years ago. But if you can't point today to the fact that my life changed from a meeting with God, then you're missing one of the birthmarks and you need to seriously consider what's going on in your life. Well, the second infallible birthmark of the kingdom of God is an obedient life. Now, I didn't mean to scare you off from turning to the scriptures with me entirely. Uh, when I Last time I said turn, you said, oh, well, I think I'll just jot it down. Turn to some of them with me at least. First uh, John chapter 2. Uh, a, the first of all, we said, a, a uh, changed life or, or newness. And now we see an obedient life. And in first John... Chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, we see the word of the Holy Spirit saying, "...and this is how, or hereby, we do perceive or know that we have come to know him. And hereby do we know that we know him if we are keeping his commandments." It's the present tense. "...if we are today keeping his commandments." Whoever says, I know him, and is not keeping his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The truth is a person, remember, not just some facts. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But whoever is keeping his word, in this one, for sure, is the love of God perfected. And this is how we know that we are in him. You see, all true saving faith is evidenced by love for Jesus. Would you agree with that? All true saving faith is evidenced by love for Jesus. And to know God is to love him. You know why? Because he's just lovable. Once you know him, I mean, you can't help but love him. And Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, love was evidenced by obedience, not by feelings. It's Obedience is the effect of a life of love. Some people are missing this infallible mark. A scripture you can jot down. Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Listen to what it says. People profess they know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work a stranger. You see, people say they know God, but they're disobedient, and God says their works deny Him. In Hebrews 5, it talks about that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to those who are obeying him. I won't give you the references. I'll just quote several of these things because I've got a lot of them. Everyone that does righteousness is born of God. And this is God's kind of righteousness, not just good deeds. Everyone uh, who does works produced by the Holy Spirit is born of God. It's an obedient life. Well, anyone, may I say this, anyone who is not seeking to live an obedient life out of love for Jesus has no biblical assurance of salvation. Anyone who is not seeking to live an obedient life out of love for Jesus, I mean, you may fail and you may fall, but if you're not seeking to live an obedient life out of love for Jesus, you have no real grounds for biblical assurance. You see, my sense of security as a Christian is bound up. My feeling of security is dependent upon my daily commitment to obedience. And if you vacillate from that fixed mind to obey the Lord, then you will lack assurance, even if you are saved. Obedience, that desire for it, is the groundwork for all assurance. James 1.22 Become doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So many people sit in their churches and they understand sermons and they think because they do that they have the truth. But you don't, you don't have the truth until the truth is in you. And so an obedient life is a birthmark that accompanies every true Christian's life. It's not a hoping I would obey, not a wishing I would obey, and thinking I should obey. It's a life that is turned to him and obedient. You won't be perfect in that, but you'll want to be. Well, the third characteristic is a guided life. First, a changed life. Second, an obedient life. But third, a guided life. And the scripture under that third characteristic is Romans chapter 8. In verse uh, 14, Romans chapter eight fourteen says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The ones who are led by the Spirit of God. You see, this means by an inward relationship with the Holy Spirit, I am dependent on the living Christ to shepherd me. You know, that verse in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is shepherding me. Not just the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is shepherding me. He's in the process of leading and guiding my life. And if you are a lamb, you consult the shepherd. If you're in the Lamb's book of life and if you're part of his flock, then he is leading you. The birthright of every Christian and the inner sense is that I hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. And we are guided by that voice. He leads us to the word. He leads us to prayer. He leads us to good pasture. He leads us to the cross. If we are his sheep. And so we don't really mean being guided by just being educated, being able to principle your way through things or being guided by being refined, but guided by a living person, a relationship, not a formula, but a relationship. With a living God. So letting God be Himself in you and guide you. Is your life guided? Can you say you've really experienced the guidance of God? I don't think there's any joy so great as to really know when you put your foot down, God said put it there. And when when you put it down, you know He's gonna give you His blessings on it. Well, that's the third characteristic, and it's a guided life. And if that's not in your life and you, and you know for a fact tonight you're a Christian, then you're missing your birthright. You have a privilege of being guided by a living person. Well, the fourth infallible birthmark of the kingdom of God, birthmarks that you can recognize on his children, fourthly, is a holy life. A holy life. Or let's just say reverence. reverence. Uh, the scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says there to follow peace, and it means to follow with all your might. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. That verse said, without holiness in my life, I'll never see God. Do you know what holiness is? It's not carrying a big black Bible like this. And it's not being able to say, praise the Lord. Holiness is because of the presence of the Holy One. It's a life separated, not only from sin, but to Him. And it's the to Him that makes us holy. It's a progressive victory. If you turn to 1 John chapter 3, uh, we need to look at that together. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Talking about holiness. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You see, we are, those who are Christians, in a state of Imputed perfection. And it's not talking about sinless perfection. It's talking about how God sees us. And it says that every man that has this hope in himself, that he's going to be changed, is in the process of purifying himself in the same way that Jesus is pure. That means the fact that you know you're going to stand before God is the incentive for you to make your life clean so that when you stand before him, you won't be ashamed. And this is looking down in verse 6 then. Whoever is abiding in him does not sin. That's a present tense. Does not keep on sinning. And whoever keeps on sinning has never seen him. And neither has come to know him. That's what the verbs really mean. In that sense, they have never really seen him. And they have never come to know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness. And it's a present participle. The one who keeps on doing righteousness is uh, of God. Uh, He is righteous. Even as the Lord is righteous. See, it's it's a life that's set apart and like the life of Christ. You say, that's a high standard. Jesus said it was a high standard. Not by us performing, but by us participating in who he is. Now, let's read verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not, present tense, commit sin. For God's seed remains in that person and that person cannot go on in sin. Why? Because he's born of God. That word for seed is the word sperma. God's life begetting issue is in us and his very life has come. And you might say his holy chromosomes have been joined in the inner man to us. And we bear that likeness that we cannot go on. Acting independently from God and living our own way by the very nature of the fact that there's life there. You know, my son was born and I could try to now put him back in embryonic fluid and say, well, live there. You've been there before. He can't do it because he's alive. It's a contradiction to live the other way. And so it says here, if you're a Christian, then you cannot get away with sin. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it says that every son whom God receives, he chastens. And if you are without a spanking, then you're illegitimate. You see, an illegitimate means you have another father. You may be in the group, but God is not your father. If God is your father and his seed is in you, when you step out of line, he will apply the rod to you. He will do it in faithfulness and in love. And if he doesn't, it's because he doesn't spank the neighbor's kids any more than you do. You shoo him away and say, go back to your daddy. And guess what God does? He, uh, he, he may jolt you a little bit, and, uh, but he will not spank you the same way he'll spank a, ch- uh, a child of his own. I met a woman not long ago who insisted that she was a Christian. She'd been the matron and all this in the church and that, but she was living in adultery. And she'd been living in adultery for years. Well, I'm going to tell you something. She can, she can show me her baptismal certificate and everything else and as much as she wants. But biblically, she is contradicted. Impossible. I'll go so far as to say I believe it's totally impossible for there to be such a thing as a homosexual Christian. You might as well have a, 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 a hospital tended by robbers. Or, uh, you know, nice murderers or something like that. It, the two are contradictory and according to the word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The path of those who are justified is like a shining light. It grows brighter and brighter under the coming day. A Christian does not commit sin as a habit If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're not talking about sinless perfection. We're not talking about perfect of life. We're talking about wanting to be in a setting apart of all your faculties to him. It says in another scripture, jot this one down, 2 Timothy 2.9. 2 Timothy 2.9, talking about those who say they're gods but are not. It says... Nevertheless, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, God seals it, it cannot be broken. The Lord knows the ones that are his. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity, lawlessness. The saved man walks in the fear of God. What does it mean? It means that a Christian, by the very nature of the fact that God's Holy Spirit has come to live in him, cannot anymore have a flippant attitude towards sin. There will be a certain brokenness about evil, and he'll hate sin that he sees in his own life. It'll break him to bits as God chastens him. And I'll tell you something, friends. If this characteristic isn't in you, you should hear the warning bell tonight. If this characteristic is not in you, you need to take alarm. God's children aren't perfect on earth, but they want to be. They want to be. Well, the fifth characteristic is this a life of relationship a christian who's been born into god's family is born into a family and in 1st john back in 1st john chapter 3 verse 14 we read so clearly what will be the case about a true christian experience 1st john 3:14 listen to this one we know that we have passed and it means once and for all From death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that does not love his brother abides in death. It's saying this is how you can tell if you really are alive. The fact will be that you will have a supernatural love from God for family members. And you know something? I believe this. The church will not be boring. Well, some churches may be. uh, But a a biblical-based church where the Lord is welcome uh, will not be boring. In fact, you'll look forward to it every week. It'll be the best place on earth. You'd rather be with Christians than anywhere else. Uh, On earth, Uh, there'll be a love for the family. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What does he say? That you have love one for another. This is my commandment, that you love one another. What does it mean to love each other? It means being willing to be vulnerable. You'll want to know each other. I'll tell you already, it's been sweet just to be together. A bunch of guys just open it up. There'll be a love for the family and a desire to be with Christians. 1 John 4.20 If a man says, I love God and hates his brother. 1 John 4.20 If he says this, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So in First John 5, 1 John 5.1 Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him that begat or gave birth loves the one also that is begotten by him. Do you love the church of Jesus? Do you love the church of the Lord Jesus? Because if you don't, it shows that uh, that something is really wrong. And you're missing some valuable proof that you're in the family of God. Well, a sixth characteristic is of a new birth. And without any doubt in the scriptures, the sixth characteristic is a desiring life. And you can just paraphrase that as zeal. Zeal. A life of zeal. A life of desire. And our scripture would be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. Let me read them. Colossians chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3. Zeal. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set, determinedly fixed, your affections, your desires, on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean? There's a spiritual mindedness. It doesn't mean that your mind will be perfect. We'll talk about that Tomorrow. But it does mean that the general inclination of your thoughts and your desires will be hunger. God will put in you a hunger in your heart for the things of the kingdom. If you're risen truly and you're in the life of the Holy Spirit, there will be by nature of the presence of Christ in your life a desire for the word of God. A desire for the things that involve worship, a desire for intimate fellowship with Him, and that marks you as His. It's not what you do for Him that marks you as His, it's that desire. To know him and to love him and to be in his presence and to fellowship with him. You might just describe this as eternity conscious. You become uh, aware of a whole other realm and you want that. And you're willing to sacrifice to live in that and know that it's true. And, And as the Lord Jesus lives in your heart, you know something? He'll come out of your mouth. He'll come out of your mouth. I believe the tongue goes all the way down like this and has its roots. Right in the heart. Right down there. And and just like my dog, when when I come home, she wags her tail. And that means that on the inside, she's happy. So your tongue is the same way. It's like a dog's tail. And it shows what's in your heart. And if there's something down there that's gross, then it'll come out in grossness. Uh, It'll slip out. Freud used to say that whatever's in your... And he was right on this one. Whatever's in your heart slips out. We find out what's in a man's heart. You can learn a lot about people from their humor. Now, say some snide cut. I say, oh, just kidding. Oh, but they weren't necessarily. They clothe it under humor many times. You see, a desiring life, setting affections on things above. The Word will be alive. It will be delightful. You will hunger for the Word. Are you hungry for the Word of God tonight? Amen. I believe that, brother. I got one. Praise the Lord. Got an amen, brother? You? Uh, amen. Amen. You see, but uh, to a lost man, church will be drudgery. He can't stand to sit past 12 o'clock or 1030 at night. He can't stand it. Uh, I'm just protecting myself. (laughs) Just protecting myself. Uh, like, Like newborn babies, desire intensely... The sincere milk of God's word, First Peter two two. As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word. I remember after I got saved, you know, I'd taken Bible in college and it'd been interesting. I'd, I'd really enjoyed it. In fact, I liked the fragrance of the man's pipe who taught me that. Uh, it was a really good course uh, uh, in in college. But I remember it wasn't really that which drew me into it, you know. But after I got saved, and you know, I come home after a hard day of business, and uh, and I'd been really out. Being in the bushes, I was in sales, and uh, and uh, I'd come home, and you know, all of a sudden, I, after supper, I just had this overwhelming desire to read my mail. That is my mail from God, my love letter. And I'd sit down, and before I knew it, four hours had passed. And I couldn't even stand to go to bed because I said, oh, this is good. You know, before it had been like reading somebody else's mail. You know, nothing's worse than finding a love letter written to some other person. You, yuck, you know, but when it's to you, it's a little better. And there's a hunger and a thirst because there's a desiring life. You desire to be with that one. Well, to a lost person, the Bible's dull. And they just can't quite understand it. And they always looking for a new version or a perversion to understand it better. But, but you see, I'm going to tell you, English will help. But that's not what the interpretation you need. You need the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. And you can get a living Bible all you want. I, the King James is a living Bible. The American Standard is a living Bible. I mean, you know, it's a living Bible because it's about a living Savior. And he'll explain it. Until he does, it's a dead Bible. Uh, and but when he's there, you have a desiring life. So to a ch- to a saint, the the service of the Lord is wonderful. Oh, I'll tell you, they sit for hours in Poland and and want the Word of God. I mean, they'll ring you out like a wash rag. Even if you get up and whistle Amazing Grace, they'll say whistle, whistle, whistle. They, I mean, they'll make you whistle till you look like a blown out balloon. I mean, uh, they love the Word of God. Well desiring life. Are you hungry? Not just for the word, but for prayer and I mean is, is that a call of God in your life? Is He issuing you that invitation tonight? Another characteristic of the new birth is this. It's not all longings, there's there's a a realizing life. That's another infallible mark. A realizing life. And back in Romans eight again, we see these words. Uh, about every person that is a believer, Romans 8, 16, and 17, about a believer, uh, a realizing life, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the born ones of God. And if we are born ones, then we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. So there's a knowing. Someone says, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I, I just know. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I, I don't know how I know it, but I just know. Uh, because, well, I mean, you have to have scriptural grounds, but I'm saying you have all the scriptural grounds. But, but there's a knower down there that God gets a hold of, and he, he lets you just know. I don't know how you know, but you just know. Uh, 1 John 5.10, it says, He that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He has the witness. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar. You see, the person who who believes God and knows God has a witness on the inside. Deep calling to deep. I know God. I know God. There's a knowing and there's an assurance. And every true believer, you know, I never, when I first started uh, with a street ministry, I used to go out and, and I was really good at talking men into decisions. I mean, boy, I could get them to just, I think I could have sold them some land in Florida as well. But, uh, but I, I, mean, I could talk them into anything based upon offering them, you know, a 10 decker crown and streets of gold and all those things just to apologize in two minutes to the Lord. You know, it's easy, you know, don't worry about it. And, you know, you got years to think about it and all those things. And I, and I would do that. I really would. But they would leave. i say, now, what does the Bible say? You're saved. I don't feel saved. I, I, I really don't think I'm saved because, see, I never mentioned repentance to them. And I'd say, you are saved. It's sin to doubt God. You know, never talk men into decisions. Let the Holy Ghost show them. Let the Holy Spirit say, you're my child. And a person who the Holy Spirit has said that to, I'll tell you something, no man can say you're not. But if you can talk them into believing they're God's child, then another man will come along and tell them that they're not God's child, and they'll be up and down and up and down. But the Spirit of God bears witness with ours that we are the sons of God. See, a Christian in this realizing, he realizes the presence of God in his life, in his family, in his business. There's no problem thinking about God. Oh, I've got to think about God. I'm supposed to think of you don't have to. He's there. If you're really saved, he's there. And he won't interfere with your accounting either as you think on him. No saved man can take holy things lightly. I tell you God's honor is important to him. Oh Jim and I were sitting in Shoney's not too long ago. I don't remember all the details, but there was a guy across the way that was saying all these things about about our Lord, and he didn't even know him, and you could see that he was over there trying to impress those guys. And we were sitting there trying to enjoy a nice breakfast or whatever, lunch, whatever, I don't know. But we were we were just really uh, having a nice quiet time and every now and then there'd be this G D this and all you know this and finally just I mean, I know it's probably not right, and it may, I still I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit, but it worked. Uh, I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I just looked over. I said, praise the Lord. He says, the who? I said, the Lord. And that guy looked like he put a tourniquet around his neck. I mean, I mean we didn't hear one more word from him. I mean, he, would, he, he could have had lunch with Emily Post. And she would have been impressed. I'm just saying, the only reason that consciousness that all was there is because we were fellowshipping in the presence of Jesus. And we didn't care about that guy disturbing our little thing. It was just that he was interfering with the whole restaurant. And we had a waitress come over and said, did I hear you say praise the Lord? And she might have had a fit right there. Finally, we had to kind of shoo her off to eat. But we had a good time there. It was great. Well, an eighth characteristic is this. And this is infallibly true in every Christian life to one degree or another. The eighth characteristic is a fruitful life. A fruitful life. Now, by that, the scripture we'll use is Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Do you have peace? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You see, this is a life of developing fruit. You may not have big arbors of grapes, you know, all this love, joy, but but it may be a little hard grape that you can bounce across the floor. But it'll be a Jesus grape. Nevertheless, it'll be from his vineyard. And you can be sure if there is no genuine fruit of the Spirit, then friends, I'm going to tell you something. There is no work of the Spirit there either. And you're still lost in your sin. Where he works... What's the first thing he creates? Holiness. Wherever he works, the first thing he does is holiness. He seals it with his spirit and he says, this is mine. How be it after you believe you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And the word there is for like the engagement ring of God. The earnest, the Arab on, the thing God gives as proof that he's not ashamed Of us. Because we've turned to him. So if there's no genuine fruit, there's no genuine work. Friend, that's true. By their fruits you'll know them. Jesus said it. He said, look, there are a lot of people around that wear sheep's clothing. Aren't there? But the only way you can really tell them is not by their words, but rather by their fruit. You see, today we say by their gifts you know them. But Jesus said by their fruits you know them. Because it springs from a life. Gifts, you can be given them. Or you can steal them. But fruit can't be counterfeited because they're a result of life. By their fruits you'll know them. I wonder if your children were asked, what's the fruit of your life? What they would say. Well, the next characteristic of a Christian life, the new birth, is a persevering life. A persevering life. And we need to look at this together, 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. We're about to get out of here, men. Stick with me. Uh, 1 John, chapter 2. A persevering life. We'll look at two scriptures in 1 John There's a big debate in many circles today about eternal security. And the reason is, is because eternal security in many circles is being argued from a non-scriptural standpoint. That when you're nine years old, you can have an experience and then live like hell during your teen years and you're still saved. That's not true. You never were saved. You never were saved. But you see, and then the other side comes along and says, that's impossible. They lost their salvation. Well, the scriptures are very, very clear, in my opinion, uh, that it's... It's not a matter of losing and getting back and losing and getting back. It's a matter of this. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, what happened in the day of John? There were pillars that looked like pillars in the church who'd been there, and all of a sudden they began to leave. And it, it, it really shook the church. They couldn't figure out why Deacon Jones left. After all, I mean, he'd been such an example. And in verse 18, he says, "...little children, it's the last time, and as you've heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists." And this is how we know it's the last time. Remember, Corinthians says there are angels of light and apparent ministers of righteousness in our midst. There are tares among the wheat. There are those who look like the real thing. And they even think they're the real thing. But he says, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have abided with us. But they went out that it might be made clear that they were not all of us. You're different, you have an unction. Anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. You're different. Which means that you're going to stay. And then in 1 John 5, 18. You see that same thing again coming out. It's translated two different ways. The King James one way. And I'll do it both ways. First John five eighteen: We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Now, some Bibles say is kept by God. But you see, it's the same thing. Whoever's born of God keeps himself. And then it says that whoever's born of God keeps himself and that wicked one doesn't even touch him. You know why? Because he can't come in the light. He can't come in the light. So there's a, this persevering life means this. All who are truly born of God will persevere. Not because you're so great or I'm so great, but because he's so great. He watches over his word to perform it. And that good thing I've committed unto him against that day, he keeps. And if it's not kept, it's because it was never committed to him. Of that which the Father's given to me, I never lose one. Not one. Only one. The son of perdition. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. Gather up all the crumbs. He never loses a thing. Soberness. Watchfulness. A truly saved man will stand. He may fall. But God will pick him up and dust him off. After he breaks him up a little bit and then remakes him a better way and sends him on, rejoicing that he's been experiencing the mercy of God. Those who do not stand reveal themselves as those upon whom the seed of God fell in the parable of the sower, and they believed for a moment with great joy, it says, but when tribulation comes up because of the word, they fall away. Only one kind of group in that parable is saved. The last one. With an open and good heart, receive the word and bring forth fruit. There's stony ground. There's emotional ground. There's worldly ground. But only good ground is that ground that really is the true ground. Well, So there's a persevering life. Let me tell you, friend, I'll stand before God for saying this, and you'll stand before God for hearing it in a loving way We've God to just say this. I believe if you're here tonight, and you can point back to when you were nine years old or twelve years old, and you may have wept tears, and you may for two years have been through all the motions just like you might have been if you joined the Boy Scouts. You were so committed to keep the Scout law. That you joined a church because you were just married, or you just became a, a teenager, or you just whatever. Uh, it became time. The pressure was on. After all, you're, I mean, you're 12 years old, son, and you did it. And you walked down, and you shook a preacher's hand, and you joined the row and you studied hard, but you never met the living God. And consequently, when you got out on your own, you fell away and you began to fall into sin of various sorts. Maybe you were too afraid to fall into sin. Maybe you just went through it all in your mind. You, you committed adultery in your mind with, with every woman you saw. And you, and you had no joy, no peace, nothing all the way through school. And you were miserable, frustrated. And God comes to you and says, pointing back is not enough. Today is the day of salvation. It's not what happened then, it's now. Nobody that's born of God can continue on that way because I'm faithful. You see, God is faithful. And He won't let that happen if you're really His. If you're really His, He will keep you. He may let you fall and get your hands really muddy like Peter. So that you'll come to the end of yourself. But it won't last long. He'll get you back. Years of sin proves you're not a Christian. The last characteristic is a victorious life. And it's in that same chapter, 1 John five 4 and 5. A victorious life. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, an unregenerated man can try to live above the world. And, but you see, they're always flirting with it. You know, you come out from the world and you say, I'm really trying to do this. But they're always looking over their shoulder and they're always flirting with the world and they're slaves of sin. They really are. They've never tasted the steak that makes crystals no longer satisfied. You didn't get that. Uh, once you've had beef steak, uh, once you've been to some place that really serves a big juicy filet mignon, and then you go back to the crystals right after that, they just have no appetite. And once you've tasted Jesus... Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. You go back and offer those old things at the bars and all that offer. Hey, you won't have any appetite at all. But if you're still flirting, if you're like a dog wearing a muscle, if you believe that lie, that it's just muzzling all those old desires. Let me tell you something. You're missing it. Because God has an answer, and He'll free you from those desires. Amen. You don't have to live with those like a muzzled dog. The unregenerated person follows the crowd. They have no power to resist. They're just like an old dead fish floating in a river of stagnant. Floating along, polluted, just being swept along by the opinions of their friends, their old bass buddies. You know, they can't break out away. they got to go back because they've never been planted in the, in the good ground of God. A saved man is liberated. He has power. And he has no pleasure in what those around him that are in the world enjoy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He may wrestle with those things, I'll grant you that, but he has no pleasure in them. God chastens him and he's faithful. So a saved man doesn't make the world's opinion his rule of right or wrong. He thinks differently. And so, as you've seen those, there's a vast difference in the depth of them and in the distinctiveness in each life. In some people, they're bold. and some people, they're beginning. Other people, you need to look at a little magnifying glass to see a little freckle. But I'm going to tell you, they'll be there. They will be there in some fashion. And, and if these marks aren't in you, and you're here tonight, friend, I'll say as lovingly as the Scriptures could say, I believe you're lost. And please don't think I'm just trying to scare you with these words. You have a very real reason to be afraid. It's not just me trying to scare you. You have a real reason to fear. Because you're missing, not the feelings perhaps, but the scriptural verification that you're in the kingdom of God. And I believe that the king is issuing an invitation. And when the king issues an invitation, all excuses are ceasing. You see, there's nothing, there, there is nothing that you can say to him once he has spoken to you that will really do. I remember one time that uh, I was talking to a man in his home about the things of the gospel, and it, the conviction was quite hot. I mean, it was amazing. The guy was sweating, you know, and everything, and, and we were down right to the place where, I mean, it was just total or nothing. And uh, he finally said, he made some excuse, uh, and I said, Huh well, would you mind writing that down on a piece of paper as your reason why you're not ready to really become a Christian today? And uh, he says, sure. And he wrote that down on a piece of paper. I said, could I have that? And I said, yeah, and I read it. And uh, then I said, that's great. Now listen, you just keep this and hold on to it. And when you stand before God at the judgment seat, you just slip him that note. and Say, that's why I didn't trust Jesus. And see what he says. And I walked out. Now, you know, you don't always do it like that. But, but, uh, but I mean, we had been there a long time and weren't getting anywhere. And, and I felt like that's what the Lord said to do. But there's no excuse that's valid. A lot of people want to escape the punishment of sin. Oh, they don't want to be punished for the sin. But you see, they don't want to be free of its power. And they don't want to be free of its power. I mean, tomorrow morning, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to talk about your thought life. And and a lot of guys say they want to be pure, but they have no intention of giving up in the chambers of their imagination in today's illicit world. I mean, they have no intention of letting God in that room. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That is not an option. There's not all excuses ceasing. Many people want God's favor in the sun who don't want God's image of the sun to be formed in them. You see, the way of the cross and the way of really coming to the Lord is a lot more narrow than a sophisticated Adam's race will endure. We don't like it. So you, can be, you cannot be forgiven tonight without being changed. We've just shown that. You can't be redeemed without being renewed. You cannot be saved without being sanctified. They come together, being set apart. So to come to Christ, you know what it means? It means you have to get up and leave where you are. The blind man got up and left where he was. Come to Christ. And you come, you know, and that means get up from where you are and come to the banqueting table. That's the real need in our churches. To come to Christ. To feast upon him. Christians are different. We must take this word and make it our foundation back in our churches. And that's the first way you can become God's man in your local church. By embodying these very things we've said tonight. Not by counterfeiting them, but by letting God really make these in you as genuine marks of who he is. Do you have a new life or is it just a new label? Not long ago, a person bought a car, a new one. A uh, nice station wagon and it had been about six months uh, passing and they stuck all these stickers on it Niagara Falls you know uh, Royal Gorge uh, San Francisco uh, Disney World uh, you know oh I can't leave this out Rock City uh, you know everything <laughs> they've been everywhere and they and I mean there must have been a hundred stickers all over the back window of this station wagon and this guy it was a nice wagon he used to have a year old, and he pulled into the service station, and there was this man there that was washing the windshield, just looking at this car, he was shining the windshield on, and uh, he says, man, you have really been around, and this is such a new car, look at the condition it's in, I mean, how have you done this, this is great condition, this car, and you've been to all those places, look at all these labels, and he's, and, and the guy just looked at him and smiles. oh, well, I just wear the stickers, I've not made the journey. You see, he just slapped those things on there. He hadn't really been there. And I think that's what a lot of us do, you know. We just wear the stickers and we haven't made the journey. We can come to a men's conference like this. And to make our wife happy. And we can come here because all the other men in the church are. And what would they think of me if I didn't come? I mean, some of you guys had real pressure put on you. I mean, you know, you're a deacon. And the rest of the guys came. I mean, what are they going to think of you if you didn't come? After all, you know, you've got to come. And so, but that doesn't matter. What really matters is being honest. God must clear away the rubble. Real happiness can never be introduced into a heart that's full of sin. We've got to deal honestly with God. So do you have a new life, or is it just a new label? Birthmarks of the family of God. Well, I believe it's a privilege to sit at the banqueting table of the king and be fed by him. Are you starving? He's been calling, and uh, it's his invitation, and it's, it's a call from mediocrity to real meaning, from emptiness to fullness, from shallow living to being filled with Jesus. But I trust that these words will sink down deep into our spirit and that we'll realize that this is not just an option, things I should do. These are proofs. These are effects of Jesus being present in the life. You may not be where you thought was said in every area, but you will be seeing something of each one of those things in your life if you're genuine. If you're not there, you need to be saved.